Mark chapter 10, and I'm really interested, so I want you guys to raise your hands, okay? If you're married, would you raise your hand? I want to see who's married. Okay, so I don't know, 47%. Um, if you're single, raise your hand. If you're single, okay, 23%. We lost someone in there. All right, if you're single and you want to get married, raise your hand. Just, all right. You guys should probably stand up. <laughs> if you're married and you want to be single, raise your hand. <laughs> I'm just joking. All right, well, today's study is about marriage, and uh, I have a title for it. I'm not really big on titles, but this time I have one. It's called, How to Keep Your Marriage from Striking Out. Because uh, there's going to be three things that I think can be death blows to marriage, and so we'll look at that and die. My prayer is that, truly, you know, when it comes to marriage, this is one of those things that is so dear to my heart. It really is. I want you guys to have an awesome marriage. I, I pray that you would have love for a lifetime. I, I really do. And so there's like a million things I want to share with you, but I, I just, uh, we don't have that much time. So pray that God will give me the wisdom in exactly what to share you know, of course we don't want you to end up uh, with a divorce, but neither do we want you to end up with some marriage that just barely squeaks by, you know, that, that kind of just, you know, survives. No, we want you to have a marriage and a life that thrives, that would be a blessing to, you know, each other, to your kids, and to all that witness the wonderful thing that marriage is. And so, you know, how do we get to that place? Uh, what we have to do is understand the teachings of Jesus, you know? Because um, a lot of times people struggle in this area. You know, I read about a husband who was watching a couple across the way and he said to his wife, look at them, they look so happy. They, they look like a happy couple. Uh, to which the wife replied, don't be too sure. They're probably saying the same thing about us. Ouch. You know, sometimes you look at someone, oh yeah, they got a great marriage, and in all reality, you find them at home and things are a lot different. Now, is it possible to be happily married? You know, some people see those words as oxymorons. I think that you can, man. You know, I, I've told you already that they say the secret of a happy marriage remains a, a secret, but it's not, man. It's all found in the scriptures. But it's not easy. You know, it's uh, not looking too good. According to one author who wrote on marriage, he breaks it down by saying 50% of marriages end. And of the 50 marriages, the 50% that stay together, one-third are unhappy, one-third are just hanging in there, and only that last one-third of the 50%, which comes out to about 17%, only 17% of all marriages honestly say that they're happy. And so, yeah, I know I, I always tell you guys, you know, marriage is not for happiness, it's for holiness, but, but come on, we're Christians. We are Christians, you know, with the with a, you know, Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have the Spirit of God, we have the Word of God. We should have love for a lifetime. We really should. We should not just survive, but we should thrive. God put you together for great purposes, and so you want to make sure that you do things God's way, that you might be uh, able to fulfill the very purpose for which he made you and put you together. And so you wonder how, and again, the, the answer is by the teaching of the word of God as we take heed to it. And we're going to look at that today um, here in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. 
It says, And then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan, speaking of Jesus, and multitudes gathered to him again. And as he was accustomed, he taught them again. And so Jesus is now heading to Jerusalem where he would eventually die. But before he dies, he travels. And as he travels, he teaches. As a matter of fact, he did a lot of that. Uh, we read, notice again in verse 1, that it was his custom. He was accustomed to do this. And he taught them uh, again. One translation puts it this way, and as usual, he was teaching them. And that's why we do what we do. That's why there's a lot of teaching that goes on in the church. You know, and that's the ministry of Christ. I think as you've gone through the Gospel of Mark, I hope that you notice that significant practice on the part of our Lord. He was constantly teaching, right? We read it in Mark chapter 2, verse 13, that he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. In Mark chapter 4, in verse 2, it says, Then he taught them many things by parables, and said to them in his teaching, in Mark chapter 6, in verse 6, then he went out about the villages in a circuit teaching. And so what Jesus would do, there was a circuit, there's a circle, he would just go from town to town and not what he would do primarily would be teaching, right? In Mark 6, 34, Jesus went and he came out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. And so what did he do? Uh, he began to teach them many things. As a matter of fact, we're going to see later in Mark 14, Verse 49, that Jesus said, I was daily with you in the temple teaching. And so I just say that to you, that we would know that that was the ministry of Christ, how important it is that a teacher affects eternity because he never knows. You never know where that teaching ends up. It really does go on and on. You know, I'm sure it was Jesus' intention to impact eternity and to give them and us lessons for a lifetime. You guys know how important teaching is, right? I mean, that Chinese proverb, it says, give a man a fish and he eats for a day, teach him to fish, and he eats for the rest of his life. That's how important teaching is. What a difference the teacher makes, especially when you understand that, that the teacher is Jesus. And we're about to get into his teaching regarding marriage. You know, where do you learn marriage? Some of you here, maybe you had great role models in your parents. Uh, maybe they were a good example to you. I know a lot of us here didn't have that. You know, some people, they looked to Hollywood. They watched movies, uh, Brad Pitt and Angelina, whatever her name is, and that's where they'll get their counseling from, the Kardashians. I mean, you name, it's out there, right? The view, I mean, it's crazy, you know, but for us, it's important to understand that the teacher of teachers is Jesus Christ, right? When Jesus taught, he was imparting authoritative truth in a world that is filled and flooded with lies. And that's why you got to know what the Bible says, what Jesus says. He taught us everything we need to know regarding heaven and earth, family, finances, working and waiting, prayer, purity, just on and on, so many things. But this morning, we are super blessed to study this particular section of Mark, for the Lord will teach us on that all-important topic of marriage and divorce. And this teaching was stimulated by a question. Notice, if you would, Mark chapter 10, in verse 2, it says that the Pharisees came and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? 
And he answered and he said to them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. And so it started, it was stimulated with a question. In verse 2, the Pharisees asked Jesus, Is it lawful? for a man to divorce his wife. Now you got to go over to Matthew 19, verse 3, and he gives us the complete question. They actually ask if a man can divorce his wife for just any reason. You know, and it sounds like a simple question at first glance. What does the Lord say? What does the law say? You know, can a man divorce his wife for just any reason? You know, but this was very complicated. It was a polarizing issue in those days. Uh, if you go back to Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4, there was a, a scripture there in which that's all it took. I mean, the, the women were not allowed to divorce their husband. The husbands were allowed to divorce their wife for, and most people believed all that, that followed the teachings of Rabbi Hillel for any reason. So let's just say your wife, you know, she burned uh, the bread. You could divorce her. Let's just say your wife spoke too loud. You could divorce her. These were specific things they wrote down. Let's just say they wrote in the Mishnah that if your wife turns around like Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music, you know, you could divorce her. Let's just say you as a husband, you know, you got tired. Uh, the, the, the nagging is dragging me down. I'm, I'm just, you know, you, you want to trade her in for a new model. A lot of guys, a lot of jerks do that, Right? You could do it in the Jewish law. That's how they justified it. And so all you had to do is take a, a piece of leather or a piece of papyrus. You go down to the city gates and you, all you have to do is write on the certificate, I divorce you. And you could dismiss your wife as simple as that. You know, that, that's the way a lot of them believed. They had two views of thought. Uh, Rabbi uh, Hillel thought, you know, he was liberal. You could do it for any reason. Uh, and when they had another rabbi, and what he believed is that you could do it only under the influence of sexual immorality. These were polarizing schools of thought. And so when the Pharisees came, they weren't sincere in their question. Notice again there in verse 2, it says that the Pharisees came, asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And what are they doing? They're testing him. You know, they believe that if Jesus gives an answer, he can ostracize at least 50% of the people because they didn't like the fact that there were large crowds gathering to him. Not only that, um, they're testing him. Not that they wanted information. They were trying to hurt him. They were trying to harm him. They were trying to mar his ministry because now they're in this region, it says in verse 1, where Herod was uh, the, the ruler and, you know, he was in, in an unlawful marriage. And so perhaps they were thinking that if they could get Jesus and trap him and trip him up on his words, that like John the Baptist who spoke against Herod and then died, they were probably thinking, well, we can probably do the same thing uh, to Jesus, right? And so they didn't want him. They weren't sincere in their question. But you know what? We are. You know, because when I look out at the world today, United States of America, I see divorce is rampant. And I look into the eyes of the children who are suffering as a result of selfish 
husbands and wives many times, and it just breaks your heart. I mean, how does it work, Lord? You know, marriage and divorce. We need to know what the Bible has to say. Did you guys know that in America, on the average, there's a divorce every 36 seconds? Every 36 seconds, there's a divorce. And so what we find is that, man, that adds up. More and more people are experiencing this heartache, right? And so Jesus' answer wasn't the typical political, you know, uh, correct answer uh, to him. Uh, Those types of public opinions didn't matter. Tests didn't matter. Uh, Truth was all that mattered. And, And as we see him do time and time again, what does he do? He just points everybody back to the Bible, right? What does the word say? He asked them there in verse 3, what did Moses command you? Now again, as I alluded to earlier, you know, most commentators and teachers will immediately take you back to Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. And I thought it would be good. Let's turn there real quick, if you, if you would. Deuteronomy 24. In verse 1, it says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, And it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her. And so, you know what, he he said, I do, but now he's done. Or he found some type of whatever, something that, you know, kind of messed up the relationship, it's unclean. And so he writes her a certificate of divorce. Simple as that, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. In verse 2, it says, when she has departed from his house and goes and he becomes another man's wife. Now, it's in, you got to note this, because later Jesus will say, you know, if you get divorced, you know, you got to, you got to, you know, some will say, well, you can't get remarried. You can. Right here, even in the Old Testament, they allowed it. I mean, the husband divorces the wife, and the wife goes and, and she marries someone else. In verse 3, if the latter husband detests her, writes her a certificate of divorce, imagine that. These guys just doing that. Uh, with the wife of their youth, put in her hand, sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife, then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. Really what the Lord is saying right here, you know, he's talking about divorce, but the really what he's trying to do is protect the woman under Jewish law because some guys... They would treat their wives in such a way. And so just having that as a background, you go back to Mark chapter 9, and you know they say uh, to Jesus, well, Moses said that we could write her a certificate of divorce. But here's the thing, you guys. Notice again in verse 5. Jesus answered and said to them, Mark chapter 10, verse 5, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. And and what we find here, strike number one, we're talking about how to make sure you have a marriage that doesn't strike out. Here's how a marriage will strike out. Number one, hardness of heart. Let me ask you a question. Seriously, how's your heart? How's your heart? You know, there are some people here, I don't have a clue, I never really checked it in a while, you know? I, I didn't really know that I could know the condition of my heart. Yeah, you can. Psalm 139 says, ask God. Lord, search my heart, show me my heart. What kind of heart do I have? There are some people here married and they're already developing hard hearts. You know, what do we need? We need, on the contrary, we need a tender heart when we're in marriage, right? 
I mean, it has to be soft. It has to be pliable. It has to be, you know, like the Bible says, and I think really the key here is forgiveness because have you guys noticed, for those of you who are married, that every once in a while your spouse sins? Have you guys noticed that? And so what do you need? Probably the, 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 one of the most important things you need in marriage is you need the capacity to be able to forgive them from the heart. Ephesians 4, verse 32, it says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. But what ends up happening is we start, you know, you know, taking account and things start adding up and your heart gets harder and harder and harder. You know, I don't know, this is probably a silly illustration. Forgive me if you don't understand, but I know I understand it. Here's a, I was thinking about I Love Lucy. I don't know if you guys ever saw the I Love Lucy where she was super hungry and she saw some fruit on the, in the bowl and she went and took a bite of it and it, she got her teeth stuck in it because it was fake. You guys remember that? Any of you seen that? Uh, old people, mostly old people, but um, <laughs> no, there's a couple of young ones here. It's all right. Um, you know, what, what is that? That's fruit that's fake. That's fruit that's fake. And some people, they, they got love. It's supposed to be fruit. It's not love because it's hard. It's hard just like that. And I remember a while back, my wife, because you guys know my wife, Shelly, and I, we don't have a perfect marriage. There is no perfect marriage, right? But I tell you what, I want one. I want one. I want to I wanna just do the best that I can as a husband. And so, but we have our struggles, man. And so, you know how she is. And so every once in a while, <laughs> no. um, I remember one time she told me, she said, this is heavy, this is heavy. She said, you don't show me grace. Why don't you show me grace the way you show everyone else? And you know, when she first told me that, I'm like, what, what are you talking about? We're still married. That's what I, I was thinking, you know? What do you mean I don't show you grace? I mean, I'm cordial. I, we're, we're still talking, living together, you know? I mean, and then the Lord really, you know, I mean, because you know how women are. Women have a sixth sense. I mean, I mean in a good way. They, they have a sixth sense. Do you guys know that? I mean, they can tell if, if your heart is not right. And so when we have, you know, our, our, our disagreements and things like that, you know, there can be a tendency, you know, for us, you know, not to really forgive. And so when she told me that, I, at first, you know, I'm like, nah, that's not me. But then I went and I got on my knees and I started asking God, God, is that me? Am I like showing everyone else grace except my wife? And the Lord just really exposed my heart and he said, yeah, because, you know, they have the tendency to let the walls down and you guys are just being real in front of each other and you fall short. And what ends up happening is that you hold it inside. And then you begin to harbor resentment and harbor bitterness and harbor unforgiveness. And then that begins to add up. And next thing you know, your heart gets harder and harder and harder. See, and then the Lord showed me, you can't do that. When she does wrong or, or whatever, it goes both ways, you got to let it go. You got to get rid of it. You got to make sure that you don't carry any unforgiveness in your heart immediately. She is right back to where when you first met her. So beautiful, so lovely. You know, I remember when we first got married, and you guys know how, how it is, even when you first met each other. I mean, do you remember your first kiss? Any of you here remember the first kiss, the first touch? I mean, you know how it was in the very beginning, man? The heart would beat, you couldn't eat. You guys remember stuff like that? 
I mean, you remember how when you're on the phone and you would talk for hours, now you don't even answer the phone? I mean, it's crazy. You know, you would take her out and it would be, you know, you would have your, your, your dinner and your, and your dessert and then, and then dancing. Now you don't romance, you don't slow dance. There is no dance going on. And it's like, what happened? And then it's just begin, you begin to add up. Here's the thing. This will ruin a marriage. Hardness of heart, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. Please, I beg you, do not allow any of that to take root inside of you. Jesus said, this is why Moses wrote what he wrote in verse 5. It's because of the, the hardness of your heart. You know, it's interesting, when the Lord mentioned Moses, so immediately you go to Deuteronomy 24, and perhaps that's what the Lord was talking about, but I kind of have an inclination that he was actually wanting to go back further, and that's what we read in verse 6. Look what the Lord says. He says, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female, and for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Do you understand that? You're married. Or one day you meet someone and you're going to get married. Do you understand the depth of commitment that is, that is the calling of God? Come hell, high water, nothing will separate me from my wife, from my spouse. You see, what we find right here is this, I believe, is what Jesus wanted them to refer to. Back Genesis 1.27, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And what we find is that this is the model marriage. You know, Jesus didn't say, well, it depends. Where'd you get married? You got a drive through wedding in Las Vegas? That doesn't count. Oh, synagogue, we got married at the courthouse. Doesn't matter. He took every single marriage back to the original marriage, Right? Genesis 1.27, 2.24, the first and foundational family. No offense, but it wasn't Adam and Steve. It was Adam and Eve, right? It was one man, one woman, leaving all others, cleaving to each other, right? Physically, emotionally, intimately, sexually. And in the process, what happened was that this miracle of marriage took place where God guides and glues two people together and those two people become one flesh. See, and that's what marriage is. It ends up being the foundational truth of marriage. Since it's God who's gluing us together, making us one, the Lord says, therefore, in verse 9, this is his application, by the way, what God has joined together, let not man separate. You know, and, and this is the truth about marriage that I, I believe in many ways is the foundational truth, right? I mean, I don't know if you ever hear that voice. Sometimes it's in your mind. Maybe if you're here married and sometimes, you know, the enemy will say you married the wrong person. You made a mistake. It's not really God who's joined you together. You know what that is? That's the enemy, man, chipping away at the very foundation of your marriage. No, God puts you together. And the more you believe that, the greater your foundation is. And it's like a deeper foundation. I believe it was God. I believe it was God. I know it was God, right? And when you have a good foundation, then you can build a skyscraper. 
We don't want little marriages here. We want great marriages that will bring great glory to God. And so you need to know this fundamental and foundational truth that since it's God who puts you together, therefore don't let anyone or anything separate you. You see, it's a God thing. It's holy matrimony. That's the revelation, the interpretation that leads to application. Therefore, we don't split apart what Jesus has joined together. I mentioned earlier that uh, half of all marriages end in divorce, and there's a divorce every 36 seconds. That means that every day there's 2,400 divorces every single day. What happens to those people? What happens to those children? Why wouldn't they submit to the teaching of Jesus Christ? who said what God has joined together, let not man separate. How different our cities, our nation would be if only we did things God's way. You know, this has got to be for life. I, I read a story about a young foolish diva type girl who saw an old lady in the market and noticed that her wedding ring was bulky and, and gaudy looking. And so uh, she spoke to her and said, hey lady, the, the rings back then when you got married, they're so big, bulky, heavy, and gaudy looking, huh? To which the old lady replied, yes, when I was married back in the day, the rings were made to last. <laughs> right? You know, you guys, new young people, you're married and you know, if you're younger than me, then you're young. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, man. You, you single people that are getting ready to make that commitment and meet that person and be that person, please understand that God wants you to stay together for your whole life. Because if you don't, you mess everything up. Do you understand that? So you got to find a way because you're going to go through hard times to, you know, to work it out to the point that as you go through these things together, you grow through these things together. You're going to get hit hard because there's two sinners living together and life has a way. We live in this fallen world, fallen bodies against fallen angels. It's a battle. But what you find as you're going through these things, man, is you're growing through these things. You know, divorce is not an option. That has to be in our heart. Husbands need to love their wives, understanding that, that that's not an option. Wives, same way. You know, I think it was Ruth Graham. Yeah, they, they asked her, have you ever thought about divorcing Billy Graham? Have you ever thought about divorce? She said, no. Murder, yes. Divorce, never. <laughs> right? And that's kind of that's the mentality we need to have. Not exactly, but you guys know what I mean. I mean, we're going to find a way. Come hell, high water, doesn't matter. We're going to work things out. You know, next thing you know, you're fighting over why well, you didn't put the cap on the toothpaste and my dad did it this way. My mom made enchiladas like this and you know, that you got the toothpaste, toilet paper. You're fighting over the most trivial things. What does that really mean? I mean, if you find yourself fighting over the trivial things, what that really means uh, uh, is that, newsflash, there's deeper issues. There's deeper issues that you need to find out what's going on and you need to deal with those issues. Maybe, you know, a few years back in the early stages, somewhere along the line, she got hurt. You hurt her. 
Someone heard her. Maybe it was a previous relationship. Maybe it was her parents all her life telling her that she would amount to nothing. Now it's your job to tell her she's beautiful. She's everything. God will use your love to heal her. A lot of times the very things that we're called to do is we're called to love our spouse. They're supposed to compel us to love them and unfortunately end up repelling us when we go the opposite way. No, we have to be committed for life. We need to know in spite of popular opinion that when the Lord instituted marriage, it was intended to last a lifetime. And so as you study the scriptures, what you find is that this is God's heart for marriage. And so is there ever a time when you can get a divorce? And yeah, there are. Uh, God does permit divorce in the case of adultery. We're going to see that in Matthew 19 and abandonment in 1 Corinthians 7. And if you find yourself in a situation like that, it's a complicated issue. I encourage you to talk to a pastor, get biblical counseling, um, if you're in a marriage, and I want to say this, I need to say this, if you or if you know someone who's in a marriage where it's physically abusive, please, they need to leave. And we are not saying as a church that you stay in that situation. Absolutely not. There needs to be separation and counseling and accountability, right? So, you know, there are exceptions, uh, but overall the conception of marriage, according to the scriptures, really should be till death do us part. I always tell my wife, Shelly, sorry, babe, but you're stuck with me. I always tell her that, you know. Because I made a vow to God, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, to have and to hold from this day forward till death do us part. And I love what Adrian Rogers said to his wife. He said, Joyce, if you ever leave me, I'm going with you. I like that. <laughs> That's the type of commitment that we need to have in marriage, Right? Marriage isn't 50-50, divorce is, right? Marriage isn't dividing everything in half, it's giving everything you've got, right? What God has joined together, let not man separate, and let that be our heart, knowing that that's God's heart. You see, at the end of the day, it all comes down to that, what God has joined together, let not man separate, and I say let not man, let no man in any way ever separate you including this you guys and there's that principle there you know when you think of separation you know what i think of a lot of times because i've done a lot of marriage counseling is couples drifting apart that's separation too right you know strike number one as we look at this uh, text right here you know don't don't let your heart get hard the hardness of heart that's strike number one strike number two is drifting apart and that can happen right you know, he's got his life, she's got her life. Uh, you don't talk, you don't go on dates, you don't spend, you know, those times of communication, heart to heart, eye to eye, looking into each other's lives, you know. Um, a lot of times what ends up happening is they become roommates rather than soulmates. You know what I want? And I don't know, we know, none of us knows how long we're going to live, but this is my prayer for my life, that I would be able to grow old with my wife. I want to grow old. And I want our love to be seasoned and tempered and strong. I don't want to grow apart. I want to grow together. That's what God made us for. And so many times we see unfortunate couples that end up, you know, drifting apart. 
No, we're supposed to leave and cleave, right? Leave and cleave. All other relationships become secondary at best. Mom and dad, friends and family, they don't get into your marriage. It makes no, never mind. After God, there's no one you're committed to more, no one you love more, no one you'd rather spend time with more because you are one with that one. Do you understand that? I mean, we see, unfortunately, couples drift apart. And that principle of, man, making sure you don't do that, that you stay close, is infinitely important. You guys, don't let anyone or anything separate you. It's, it's biblical. It's wonderful. It's supernatural. Uh, some, however, might see it as radical. You Christians are weird, man. You mean to tell me that you're kind of stuck with each other for the rest of your life? Well, people change, and, and you fall out of love. That's not, that's not real love if you fall out of it. Love is not a, a feeling. Uh, love is a fact. Either you, it's a commitment. It's under, unconditionally, supernaturally uh, seeking someone else's good, expecting nothing in return. You know, we're not supposed to love them because they're lovely. That's not why God loves us, right? We love them because we're lovers. And as we love them, God will do a work in their life, right? You know, they thought it was radical. Look, look, if you would, at verse 10. And so in the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. And so he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, again, as I shared, you've got to get the full counsel it's not just this simple. If you go to Matthew 19, let's go there together. Matthew 19. Jesus said in verse 8, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And verse 9, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality. And so, if there is adultery involved, the husband, the wife, they go out. You know, you are, you are free to divorce. doesn't mean you have to. You're not forced to divorce. Sometimes God will mend a marriage. Sometimes God will bring a greater love than there was previously. You know, for us as a church, you know, we allow the Lord to lead you. We know what the Bible says. You know, but this is something that you have to take before the Lord because sometimes that sexual immorality, that adultery... It deals a death blow to a marriage and God knows that that husband or that wife, they'll never change. God knows that. And if you're in that situation, then God says you, you can move on. And that's what he says in verse 9. I, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery and whoever marries her was divorced. Again, that would be an unbiblical divorce. Then they commit adultery. And so you're married he or she goes out on you. You know, you have to take it to the Lord and you ask the Lord what to do, but you are free to move on if God leads you. So adultery is one exception and the other is abandonment. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, and if the unbeliever departs, then you're no longer under obligation. You know, you're free. And you're like, but, but they're Christian. And no, they're not. Not if they leave you. They're not Christian if they leave you. A Christian wouldn't do that. And so that's what the, the Bible says, right? Uh, the disciples wanted clarity on this matter of marriage and divorce because Jesus taught 
not typically, but with authority, right? And so when they have some time alone with him, they ask him, and Jesus basically says that if a man divorces his wife and has no biblical basis for divorce, if that man doesn't repent and just gets married again, then their marriage is essentially adultery, and the same is true with the, the woman. You know, when you look at this picture in Matthew 19, you get the whole thing. Now, I do need to say this, that if you're here today and you have divorced on biblical grounds, Please understand you're not a second-class citizen. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that even God himself got a divorce in Jeremiah 3, verse 8. And so, you know, regardless of that, here's the thing that I think is very important. Looking back, don't be condemned. Looking back, don't be condemned. But looking forward, do be committed. Please, do be committed. Because the scriptures are clear. We are not to divorce for just any reason. That's why it's so important you wait on the Lord, you marry the, the right person, and when you're married, that you make sure you be the right person. You know, we're going to have differences, right? Because we're two different people. Did you guys notice that? I mean, I'm sure you've heard that illustration. I think I told it to you before. Marriage is like two porcupines in Alaska. Did you guys know that? And so it's cold, right? And you got these two porcupines, man, and they come together, and what do they do? They just like, man, prick each other. And so, you know, they separate, but then it's cold. That's not right. It's not supposed to stay that way. And so what do you do? You come back together, and you do it a little bit more carefully. And what you do is you keep each other alive and warm and well in the midst of a very, very cold world. You know, we're going to have our differences because we're two different people but we learn how to work out those differences. Don't fight each other. Fight the enemy. Fight to resolve, to solve those differences. Don't fight to win an argument. If you only fight to win an argument, you've already lost. And you might well be on your way to losing your spouse one way or another. And so if you want to divorce-proof your marriage, if you want to make sure that you don't strike out in marriage, Remember these three things. Strike number one is the hardness of heart. Strike number two is the, the drifting apart. And, and then strike number three is sexual immorality. Uh, we call it uh, adultery. And here's something that's very important. So, you know, you look at those three things, okay? Hardness of heart. So the antithesis of that is the tenderness of heart. You forgive. Be quick to forgive. A good husband and wife are good forgivers, Okay? drifting apart, what does that mean? Rather than drifting apart, I'm going to get to know her. I'm going to fall in love with her. I am going to passionately pursue her. We're going to have date nights. I'm going to make her drink coffee even if she doesn't like it. I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm just joking. We're going, to, we're going to get together. And then the third thing, adultery, sexual immorality, you know, the antithesis to that, you want to know what it is? When you're married, you need to have a healthy sexual intimacy as husband and wife, you know, and, and you got to work that out, right? You know, guys, you know, guys are like, just, you know, just do it. They're just like, boom, man, that, that's all we do. We just go for it, right? You know, but girls are not like that, right? Girls, they, they want romance. Girls, they want to talk. Girls, they want to dance. Girls, you know, in one sense, the sexual intimacy is a reflection of your entire relationship. And so it's kind of cool that the girls are there because they keep us on check. They're like, hey, you know, I don't want just that act of love or so-called love. I want love. And so we as guys, you know, we back up a second and we're like, you know what? I got to get my relationship right with, with God and with my wife. 
Because that part of your marriage is so important. And so rather than you, we read it the other day with the guys in Proverbs 5, you know, rather than you going and, and looking for love somewhere else because it's not happening at home type of thing, is you work it out to where you love your wife. You're filled with her. You find a way to, to, to just, man, make that type of you know, thing happen in, in a way that would be healthy and strong. I, Proverbs 5, verse 18, it says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress. And so guys, you know, you know the importance of healthy intimacy. Girls too. Don't, sometimes girls will say no. You know, they use it as some type of leverage or tool. And you know what? Man, we got to ask God for wisdom in this. It's a very, very important part of the marriage relationship. And so one, one last word, you guys. I don't know. How many of you guys think marriage is hard? If you're married, you think marriage is hard, just out of curiosity. It's pretty hard, right? It can be, man. Um, but it's impossible if you're not a Christian. I mean, if you're not a Christian, there's no way you will die to self. There's no way that you will put another person before you and be able to live a life of constantly forgiving and and pursuing and the love that comes only from God. You know, we can't live anything apart from that supernatural power that God gives us as Christians. And I know most of you here are probably Christians. Um, I know we have a lot of growing to do as Christians. But just in case there's anyone here today who's not a Christian, you don't know the Lord, you know, someone invited you, somehow you found your way in here, you got to make a decision. Are you or not? Are you going to follow Christ or not? And the Bible says how important it is because the, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Have you guys all sinned? If you just think that you haven't sinned, then you just sinned, okay? You lied by <laughs> not saying that. We've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God and that sin separates us from God. But the Bible says how God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. He loves you so much, he doesn't want you to die and go to hell. He wants you to go to heaven. He wants you to be with him forever and ever and ever, but he won't force you. Jesus Christ is a perfect gentleman, and he wants you to make that decision. The Bible says in Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. It's like he's knocking on the door of your heart. And if you will open and let him in, the Bible says, and he will sup with you and you will dine with him and your sins will be forgiven. He will write your name in the book of life and you will live forever and ever and ever in heaven. Why? Because he died for you on that cross. But it's a choice that you have to make. You know, maybe you're here and you're hurting, been going through things. And I know life has been tough, but it's because God has brought you to this place here today that you would make that decision to follow him. And so I pray that if you don't know the Lord or maybe you've drifted away, you know, that today you would return to him. I pray that today if you're, you know, in a marriage and it's been on the rocks, not on the rock, you know, and, and you've been struggling, that there would be a commitment somewhere inside of you that, you know what, Lord, I, I want you to bless my marriage. And today I'll make a commitment. 
be the husband, to be the wife that you call me to be. This is the, where the rubber meets the road, and we make those decisions, and God meets us here.